Hey there, welcome to Sauce Unbound, brought to you by Sauce Group. I'm your host, I'm Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business success. And today with me is Emmett Gibney, a CEO of Rewardful, and it is all-in-one sales affiliate and referral tracking software, and also one of Sauce Group family brands, and we couldn't have been happier about it. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, uh, yeah, like I said, awesome to have you here. I've been planning to to talk to you about Rewardful because I've been seeing all your growth and everything that you've been doing the last year with Sauce Group, and it's been absolutely incredible. But first things first, right? It would be great to know a little more about you too, your background, how you got to uh, work on Rewardful in the first place. Cool. So I guess I've I've been involved in entrepreneurship and maybe kind of like online business for the last 10 or 15 years. I got started back in, in university, actually starting a video production company. Um, and that kind of transitioned me through into like web development because you'd have all these clients, you know, like corporate video clients that would be like, oh, can you also do our website for us? And so it kind of got pulled into, you know, creating websites and things like that, that way. And then into SaaS was kind of like maybe like 2012, 2013, started getting interested in that. And, but again, it was like still like doing websites, WordPress websites and, and things like that for people. But it was around that time I, I started getting interested and involved in startup communities in uh, Vancouver and Edmonton in Canada. And it was around that time actually that I met Kyle Fox, who was the, one of the co-founders and former CTO at Rewardful. And then fast forward to 2015, Kyle and I co-founded a health tech startup called Care Network. And it was a tool for doctors working in hospitals. And uh, we worked together on that for about a, a year, year and a half. And we built a cool product, but quickly learned that trying to sell into hospital environments is like the most painful, difficult process uh, one could imagine. And I have a much greater appreciation for product-led growth and self-serve SaaS than, uh, than I did before. Um, I can only imagine how hard it, it could have been, like the, just the bureaucracy and everything that yeah, is involved. Yeah. I, I mean, with good, with good reason, right? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot at risk, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty painful process. And there's a lot of regulatory capture with like large EMR vendors uh, electronic medical record vendors. And so it's like, there's not a lot of innovation that, that happens in that space. I think everyone who goes into healthcare and particularly healthcare technology, go in optimists and, and leave somewhat jaded and cynical by the end of the process. And um, I think I definitely f fell into that camp, went in optimistic and left jaded. So long story short, you know, Care Network did not work out. We shut down the company and I went and just got some sort of like you know, kind of corporate IT sort of business analysis type jobs were basically, you know, building building software tools for internal processes in, in sort of corporate environments. Did that for a few years. And then parallel to that, uh, Kyle shortly after that went on to, to start Rewardful with Brady Cassidy, who was the CEO. They started Rewardful around 2017 or, or 2018 and um, ran that for uh, a number of years until they, they sold to the SaaS group. And I had I'd been talking to them in the summer before they sold Rewardful about coming to work for them. 
And then we, we kind of put that on the back burner because they were negotiating the sale of the company and, you know, kind of messy to have me come on board during that time. Um, and then maybe like two or three months after the sale was finalized, I came and joined Rewardful within SaaS Group. They stuck around for another year. And then when they left in November of 2022, so about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, actually, I think last week was like a year uh, anniversary. Mm -hmm. They left the company and myself and Chris Cottom, who's now the CTO, took over running, running the company. And fast forward another year and yeah, here we are. Yeah, one of the, I guess, fastest growing brands with us. And that's incredible. And obviously, I mean, probably wouldn't be possible to talk about like the, the sale itself, but the post integration, right? Because that's also kind of something that a lot of founders are a bit scared or confused about. And we just did a piece about that with Lewis, who's our post merger integration manager. And it's going to be, it's going to be pretty great. It's going to, to make it a lot clearer for, for a lot of founders, but how did it go for you? Especially since, you know, you joined after the sale was finalized. So everything's new. Mm -hmm. How was the company transitioning? What was your experience with that? Very, very good. One thing I would say is the first year or so, we didn't do a very tight in a integration. It was actually after Kyle and Brady left that we really started to to integrate. Like we hadn't, you know, integrated tightly with the, the central marketing team immediately. And that was more, I think, kind of like, you know, Kyle and Brady's preference to kind of do their own thing. And SAS Group allowed them to, to do that and, and to have you know, the freedom to operate as they wished. Then when Kyle and Brady left, Chris and I kind of felt like, okay, like we've lost, you know, two very important people to the company. So we need to get some additional support. And uh, over the last year, I've worked very closely with um, Tim Hikes, who's one of the the CMOs within the central marketing team. And in terms of like the growth of the company, that's that's been an enormously important part of the growth of the company to have that additional support. I, you know, I, I have a somewhat different perspective because I'm not one of the founders of the company, but I, I thought about this a lot, like in terms of, you know, what, what would I have done if it was, I, I sold the company and, you know, would I stick around or not stick around? Right. And it's easy for me to kind of hypothesize what I might feel in that situation. But my, my observation has been that in the last year, I've learned more about, SaaS and mm -hmm. marketing for SaaS and management and product management and all the stuff than I have in maybe a large part of the rest of my my career. And I think the reason for that is within SaaS group, there's a lot of other experts that you can call upon with whether that's within the central teams, whether it's you know the central marketing team or the right. product team or whatever. Um, but then amongst the other brands, right? So I can give you a couple examples. We just hired our first customer success manager. And I, I have no sort of formal professional training or experience as a customer success manager, but mm -hmm. I kind of been the de facto customer success manager for the last year. I've done, I don't know, probably like two or 300 customer calls in the last year. And, but like kind of just figuring out it out as I go. And so when we were opening up this role, I was a bit nervous in terms of like, okay, how do I, I'm not a professional customer success manager. How, yeah. how do I find 
a good person. And I was able to go and talk with like six other people across the various different brands in SaaS group, other mm-hmm. general managers within the SaaS group, as well as like customer success managers, customer support people that happen to kind of straddle the both worlds, you know, support and customer success and yeah. you figure out like, okay, what would you prioritize? And so if I was, you know, someone selling their SaaS business, obviously there's the financial benefit of you sell your company and, you know, you get some financial security or whatever you might be looking for in that regard. But the learning opportunities are enormous to kind of yeah. be slotted in to have sort of these, if you want to say like guardrails or structure, um, you know, to help you learn. Because I, I think like a large part of the reason why a lot of people will sell their SaaS company, particularly at this stage that SaaS group is looking for, mm-hmm. is because they maybe lack the confidence to think they can kind of go to the the next level. It's like, okay, I, I've bootstrapped it to like one or two million in air, but like, oh, I don't know how to like go from building a product to like building a company and hiring a team and scaling. Yeah. And I think like learning how to do that is like, that's a big thing that you're going to get out of sort of this stage within SaaS group. At least that's been my experience kind of coming in as, you know, someone to be the CEO of this very small company at this stage is right. to be able to do that in an environment where you feel like, okay, like if you screw up on something, like you've got other experts you can kind of lean on and, and get some support from. So that's been quite helpful. Yeah. I really loved how you phrased it in another podcast that being in Sally's group gives you like all the fun and all the ex- experiments and testing uh, that you would get in a, in a like a normal bootstrap startup, but then yeah. an enormous support of that like umbrella and expertise yeah. of other people that have made it further. And I feel uh, I feel like you're absolutely right. I mean, it's the same for me. If you know, if something is not is out of my comfort zone or like I don't know, I haven't been doing it for several years because it wasn't like in my job description in my previous company or something there's always a person that knows how to do it you can always ask you can always chat with them on slack you can always hop on a call so yeah having that kind of like even the feeling that that there are other people that could help you i think that gives like Mm -hmm. such a boost for founders and ceos that are within the group yeah, like there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of administrative stuff that if you're running your own company that you'd be responsible for, right? Like we've got the central HR and finance teams and like so I don't have to worry about preparing our books or mm-hmm. you know filing different tax forms or any of that kind of administrative stuff or you know HR stuff like you know on how do you onboard new employees and get them their yeah. laptop or like all all that stuff that's minutia that has to get done it's really important. Yeah that allows us just to focus on like, okay, we want to market our product and build our product and build our team. So yeah, it's like the best of both worlds, right? Like right, the flexibility absolutely. of being in a small company, but then like a bit of the structure and support of being in a bigger company. Sure. Yeah. And also like something that, well, I'm, I'm personally very curious about, and I'm sure a lot of founders are also curious about, well, Kyle and Brady, they transitioned out of the company and you transitioned into a role of CEO. So how has it been for you? Were there any challenges? How are you approaching it right now? What is the best part of the job? The best part of the job is, there's a lot of things, but if I was to kind of 
describe it thematically, it's that we're we're given enough rope to hang ourselves with to a certain extent, right? Like we're given yeah. autonomy. And I'm sure if we were getting into sort of danger territory, you know, Toby or the rest of the board that would step in and be like, well, you know, be careful or whatever. But for the most part, like, you know, they, they have a, a huge amount of confidence in us to execute mm-hmm. on what we want to do, but they're still there as, as sparring partners, you know, to, to give us feedback or, you know, guidance because they've built companies before and, and that kind of thing. But it's autonomy. Anyone who's spent some time as an entrepreneur, and I'm not an entrepreneur now, I'm more of a hired gun. But having been an entrepreneur in the past, I think anyone like that is kind of wired for wanting autonomy. And so that's the best thing is just having the autonomy to to do what we think is best and, and not feel like we've got someone peering over our shoulder all the times. Yeah. And in, in part, that's because, you know, there's 18 companies in the portfolio and, uh, or is it 19 now? I've lost track, but yeah, it's 18. They, don't, they don't 18. have the time to, yeah, <laughs> they don't have the time to micromanage, right? So that's a great part of it. Um, and then I think culturally, like I like the people within SaaS group and, you know, I've worked places where that's not the case where like, I didn't like the people that much, like that's happened before. Right. And so there's something to that, that like, you can be working in a place where you're like, Oh, like I like these people, you know, these feel like my people kind of thing. Right. A lot of, you know, if you're into SaaS and you're, you know, a bit of a nerd, then you probably feel pretty comfortable in, in SaaS group. Yeah. And so that's another element that that's quite enjoyable. I think in terms of challenges, I think the biggest challenge stepping into this particular role is the context switching or, or just like the the breadth of the stuff that we that I'm responsible for, right? So yeah. switching from all the different sort of things. The, the, the analogy I use is kind of like spinning plates. There's always spinning plates and you've got to, you know, be paying attention to which of those spinning plates are starting to slow down. So you need to go and make sure that yeah you know, that plate doesn't fall to the ground. And that's the challenging part about this specific role, right? And the business is, it's growing, as you said, it's grown quite quickly in, in the last year. And I think that has added the pressure in terms of the context switching. It It's helpful that like, we've got the central team that can kind of help and, you know, watch some of those plates for me, like Tim and marketing and, and elsewhere, right? But yeah, I would say that's probably you know, been the biggest challenge. So uh, since we started talking about your growth, right? And as we both mentioned already, it's going pretty great. I mean, I absolutely love watching everything that you're doing. You're going out there, you're picking up podcasts and you're a lot more active on Twitter than than before, than even like half a year before, which is great, right? So I can see like a lot of experimentations that, that, that we were um, that we were talking about that you would find in any bootstrapping startup. So how do you approach them? Like what has been working for you the best? Why are you doing the things that don't scale this, you know, other podcasts? And yeah, what do you think will be the trend next year? So in terms of the types of things we've been doing to try and accelerate growth. I think that the comment that you made there about like doing things that don't scale, like I think that's important. And it, it, like obviously you have to, things have to scale eventually, right? But like initially you want to kind of just be active and kind of hustle and, and be out there. So like, as an example, one of the the first things that I did, I think it was around January of this year, was get pretty ag- aggressive with doing demos and trying to proactively offer demos to people. Um, 
and that's tough. Like that's a tough thing to to scale, right? But just to be talking to a lot of customers and and learning how they're thinking about the product, and to give people a sense of like there's someone here to to help them. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like a lot of just best practice, you know, like re- re- rewardful. A year ago was at a position where it was a product had a, had a, had a toehold in the market in terms of a bit of brand recognition, strong brand, brand recognition within sort of indie hacker sort of space, mm-hmm. good word of mouth. But there was a lot of sort of um, low hanging fruit that we hadn't really taken advantage of yet. In part because just of lack of lack of resources. And like, for example, I think this time last year, we might've had 10 or 15 blog posts or something like that, right? Like, yeah. whereas now we've got like 50 or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So like, there's no, there's no kind of like, magic or secret sauce. It's just kind of doing the stuff that you should be doing. Like you should be out yeah. producing content. You should, whether that's on social or on your blog, you know, for your SEO, it's like the bigger your online footprint is, the more opportunity there is to rank for long tail keywords. So like you need content. Yeah, You need to be active on social if only to be seen to be active on social. Like we have some competitors that go and look at like their LinkedIn or Twitter profiles. And it's like, there hasn't been a post in like a year or two. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I know they're active in the market and they might be a comparable size to us, but like if a customer sees that, like it just looks bad, right? Like, so it's all that kind of just best practice blocking and tackling kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's nothing like super crazy or sophisticated, right? Um, yeah. In terms of experimentation, you know, we'll do experiments with different different things. We actually will use Rewardfall to to check and see if people are converting. So we'll actually do some attribution tracking, setting up like a, a zero commission campaign to track whether or not people are buying through some other channel, whether it's like newsletter sponsorships or, you know, reviews, review sites or things like this. You know, in the end, it's like the sort of tried and tested foundational things like organic SEO, paid search, organic social, paid social, like there's, you know, there's no sort of silver bullet, of course, our own affiliate program, things like that. But yeah. This episode is sponsored by Rewardful.com. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay affiliates based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Building a successful affiliate program can be a little bit intimidating figuring out where to get started. That's where Rewardful has taken what they've observed from their most successful customers' affiliate programs and distilled that into an exclusive online course. The exciting part? Their affiliate marketing course is absolutely free. And by joining the waitlist today, you'll get early access to it as soon as it goes live. Join the waitlist at rewardful.com slash course, rewardful.com slash course, and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And I mean, I completely agree. Sometimes it's, uh, yeah, experimenting and just, just doing something fun and interesting, but sometimes it's just grinding and, you know, just like doing the, yeah. the consistency and the boring. Small tweaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The boring stuff that that, that nobody 
necessarily wants to touch. So I, I think that's great. It's I always ask about a hack here in the podcast, but lately it's been just the, the narrative has been changing. And everyone's like, I want to share a hack, but like to be honest, there is no like it just it, it's hard work. That's it. And uh, if something yeah. feels like a hack, well, it just worked because there was so much work before that. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. And since you, you've already mentioned that you talked with almost 300 customers, I think I have the exact number, 261. <laughs> so how did it happen? Again, why did you decide? Because I guess for some founders, especially very early stage, it would be kind of counterintuitive. You just, you know, you build a product and you say it's a great product and it's out yeah. there and it's self-serves. So like go and buy it. It's amazing. Why go and talk one-on-one -on -one to customers. What was the purpose of that? I think it was twofold. Well, maybe more than that. So the first thing is just education. For my own ed education, just to understand like who are our customers and like what are they doing out there? Like why are you using yeah. Rewardful and you know what problems are you trying to solve? Mm -hmm. So it's just ed education about who they were, but then also about the challenges that they were facing within our product. The other thing with Rewardful is it doesn't take a long time to set up, but it is a technical product. You have to install it with, into your application, right? And depending on how your application is set up, you know, it could take more or less time, right? But in general speaking, you should be able to get it up and running like within an hour kind of thing, if not quicker, depending on how you're set up, right? And so being able to like get on and talk to people to help them, you know, walk them through how to do that setup process. The other thing that we see is that a lot of people, if they have no problem with that, they get their the product installed into their application and then they're like, okay, it's set up, but now what? Like, I don't know how to do affiliate marketing and, and where should I get started, right? So doing a lot of coaching to give people some ideas in terms of, you know, this is how you could run your affiliate program. Those conversations have been very informative for us in developing this course that we're working on. And we can talk a little bit about that later if you want, yes. but just to understand like, what are the pain points that people are dealing with in terms of setup as well as education. And I think like prior to doing that, it was a bit of a black box for me in terms of like, you know, who are our customers and what are the things that they're dealing with? Right. And so there's no better way than just like talking to a lot of customers. We actually, I think it was in maybe April or May that we actually like created an intercom automation that sends a message out to every person who signs up. And it's like, after two days, if they have an active subscription, we send them a message that says, you know, just wondering if you have any, you know, questions, need any help. Here's a YouTube video. So we do send like a video that has like a demo, but if you have any other questions, you know, feel free to book with me. And then there's, there's like a calendar link. And that's where like the lion's share of these calls get booked from. But yeah, like there's no substitute for talking to a lot of customers for, to educate yourself. But then also on the customer's perspective, particularly if you've got a little bit of a technical product like Rewardful, helping them to get through any of those initial sort of friction points to kind of supercharge or reduce the time to value is super important and helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And and then just, you know, having a CEO explain it for you, it's it's incredible. I think when I got through some of the emails where it said, like a C CEO emails, where it said, you can reply to that email, and you could actually reply, it was like, 
wow, it works. It's, you know, it's magic. And I got a few like podcast appointments there and, and whatnot, but it's just, yeah, I think it makes people happy. It makes people, I don't know, seen important and, and so on. Yeah. So I, I guess it's a great, it's a great strategy, but uh, you started talking about the course and yeah, let, let's get to it. Of course, there will be a link. Yeah. There will be more about it in, in the ad. And why did you decide to do it in the first place? I mean, obviously that's a great marketing thing, right? But what were maybe the mistakes, the challenges that the people were facing when they went to Rewardful and started working on their affiliate campaigns? Like, what do you see people are struggling with? Yeah. So your question about like why we did it in large part, it was to save my voice from saying the same stuff over and over and <laughs> yeah, over to again, to, again <laughs> to people on calls. But yeah, so there, there's benefits in terms of marketing, but also customer success to actually be able to have proper resources that we can send people to. I think like the biggest thing was to dispel misconceptions that a lot of customers had around what affiliate marketing is. I think a lot of people come in viewing affiliate marketing as kind of like a set it and forget it marketing channel, which it's not like any marketing channel, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And so if you you just set it up and you're hoping that affiliates are magically going to sign up and and promote you and that they're going to be good, honest affiliates and they're not going to try and game your affiliate program. I think that's a recipe for disappointment. Like you're not going to have a very good affiliate program if you don't put any effort into it. So that's one of the first things I try and dispel is this misconception that you can just set it and forget it. And then kind of outlining some like basic principles for what you need to do to make a, an affiliate program successful. And a lot of it is just kind of like common sense, um, but people find it quite helpful when I talk them through this, just to hear it and be reminded of kind of these common sense things. Like the, the first principle I, I talk about is... Um, you need to make it easy for your affiliates to make money. There's a lot that goes into it, into that, but ultimately it's just framing this in people's minds that you need to recognize the motivation of your affiliates. Your affiliates are looking to make money. And so, you know, if you don't pay generous enough affiliate commissions, they're not going to be very motivated to pr promote your product. They'll look to promote something else. Also realizing like if your product doesn't sell period, like put aside your affiliate program, but like if you can't sell your product, an affiliate isn't going to figure out some tricky way to like sell your product, like, right? So there's a bit of managing expectations in there, right? Where if you've never sold your product before, your affiliates are, they're just traffic, right? So if, if you've got a product that nobody wants, or if your funnel is performing poorly, right? Like, mm -hmm based on the traffic you do get if no one converts or yeah. you've got a high churn, things like there's all these things that just go into like having a like good solid marketing in, in general and good product in, in general that if you don't have in place, affiliates aren't going to, aren't going to solve that problem for you. So that's the, the first principle. You could just think like all the different things you need to have in place, right. To make it easier for your affiliates to make money. The second principle is just to run your program like a professional. So make your affiliates feel like this is a priority, that there's someone there that they can ask questions to, that you provide some level of education about your product or service that gives them some ammunition to go out and promote your product. Make sure you pay your affiliates on time, all that kind of just basic stuff 
keep communicating with your affiliates on an ongoing basis to keep them engaged. And again, to educate them on how best to sell your product kind of goes to the heart of this. Like it's not a set it and forget it thing. You can't just leave it. You have to kind of be actively professionally, you know, managing your program. And then the, the third principle is to build some sort of like a process or a system for recruiting affiliates on an ongoing basis. And don't just rely on people to just magically turn up at your doorstep and, and want to promote your product. A common question that we get from people is if we have an affiliate network, so like a, a network or marketplace of yeah. affiliates, and we don't. And I often tell people, and this is something we get a lot from people who've like moved away from competitors who have networks, is the networks, they're kind of this lure that to pull people in. And then the results aren't really there. So one, um, affiliates you're going to get in a network, they're not necessarily interested in your space or have traffic that's relevant to your space. They're just, they tend to be a little bit more mercenary and they're just in it to make money. They don't care about any particular type of product or a particular niche or vertical. You're also more likely to see kind of like gaming type behavior. And I don't mean video gaming, yeah. I mean gaming, like gaming your affiliate program in ways you might not mm -hmm. like. And so in terms of building a system for recruiting affiliates, it's like actively going out and trying to find affiliate partners that are going to be relevant to your, that your product will be relevant to their audience. So basically we, we teach that these are sort of the core three principles. Obviously like there's like two hours of content. So I've, you know, I've talked for about five minutes about it. So there's a lot that goes into these three different principles, but if you can ad adhere to these and, and live up to these three principles and you've got a product that people, people actually want, then you've got a you know pretty good chance that you should have a successful affiliate program. That's wonderful. I mean, I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm not doing any of it, but I'm happy to learn. So yeah, I will definitely leave the link and everything below. So check it out. Another question that I wanted to ask is that, you know, since you're working with a lot of companies, right, and you probably see some trends and like what's being built, what people are working on, what's hot right now in the market. So like, is there anything particularly interesting that you see with the companies that come to Rewardful? Yeah, definitely. There's definitely some trends. The last year, no surprise, has been all about AI. I think, you know, if you look at this time last year, the number, let's say if you looked at like our top 100 customers, there might have been a couple of AI companies, you know, and, and those would have been companies that were using the, what was like the GBT3 API to do like copywriting and things like that. So there might have been a couple of, of those companies back then. Now, if you look at our top 100 customers, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like 20 or 30% are AI companies. So one, in terms of just the sheer volume of these AI companies, huge, huge numbers of them. But then also in terms of like the revenue ramp, like we're just you're seeing the revenue go up like crazy. And a lot of these companies, you know, they're starting cold. Like we can see like they're starting as companies, like they're brand new. So it's not like they had, you know, been operating for a long period of time. And in a very short period of time, they're like growing incredibly quickly. Like we had, this is a very anomalous case, but it's noteworthy. We had a customer join in March of last year and in three weeks generated like $700,000 in sales oh. in a three week period from their affiliate program. I, I don't know like about the rest of their business, but it looked like basically they launched the business okay. using their affiliate program, generated 700,000 
um, dollars in sales that when you launch like that, then it tapers off and then, you know, they might be at like 50 or 60,000 in, in MRR after that. But you see a lot of that in AI where there's just these crazy ramps where they just grow incredibly quickly. So that's definitely been sort of the story, unsurprisingly, of, of 2023 is all these AI companies. And there's other sort of trends we, we see around, but, you know, far and away, AI is the, the most notable for sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Uh, but yeah, it would be interesting to see uh, where they go next year and if it's going to remain the same or change at all. So I have a couple more questions, right? And there are two that everyone gets so far. What has been for you personally? Let's talk about you personally, your journey as a leader, as a CEO, in a reward for the biggest win and the biggest failure. The biggest win, like there's, you know, we made some changes to our pricing, which got us like a nice bump in terms of MRR. But, you know, that's kind of mechanical in a way there's nothing particularly like exciting or, or sexy about that. That's just sort of like, like a SaaS best practice, like, you know, mm -hmm. optimize your pricing. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else, like it's all been just kind of very grinding and, you know, best practice. There's, I'm trying to think if there's anything kind of like particularly big thing. I think we've done a we've done a good job in the last few months with building the team. Like we've got some great people and I think everyone's getting along very well. And that's like the most just sort of personally satisfying, you know, seeing some sort of like boost in MRR. Like obviously it's, you know, we've grown a lot, both in terms of just like new organic customer growth, as well as like increasing the value of those customers. But that's not one of those things where it's like gives you much of sort of like a sense of personal satisfaction, but like, yeah. you know, we had our first all hands meeting yesterday with the entire new team. Cause we just hired a couple of new people and, you know, we've got like the full, like nine, the grid on Google meet now. And, you know, we're joking. It's like the Brady bunch. You've got like the full screen now and you know, a sense of pride around like the, you know, the people that we've, we brought on board. And then in, in terms of biggest failure, you know, it, it, sometimes it doesn't work out with people and you know sometimes that can be exceptionally difficult and uh, yeah i won't go into any more detail than that but yeah sometimes it doesn't work out with people and it can be it can be difficult yeah. you know particularly if you you feel a sense of sort of responsibility to the the people that you bring in and that can be challenging sure sure i think yeah. I, I feel like it's it's mostly the trend especially in smaller teams uh whenever i ask about those things it's yeah it, it's great that we have now the people that that are with us and they're perfect and like we love the team but then there were times when we had to let someone go or and those were the yeah. lowest times so people yeah i think in small teams when you were just together doing what you were doing in like and experimenting and just basically trying to take that baby to the next step of their existence it is definitely difficult to to navigate uh, the relationships. All right, and well, one more one more question is obviously about the hack, right? And it could be a hack that helps you with the reward fall, or maybe let's do two. That would be perfect as well. One about reward fall, and one about the affiliate programs. Like, how would you recommend others to come to reward fall? Like, what to do? Is there a hack to make affiliate marketing a little bit easier? So for affiliate marketing, what I would say is, this is a, a sort of a, a very basic tip that I'll give people. So 
I don't know if it counts as a hack, but it's something I commonly tell people is to pair your affiliate recruitment strategy with your SEO strategy. And what I mean by that is, let's say you've got, I don't know, let's, let's, there's 20 keywords that you really want to rank for, right? Go to Google and you search for those keywords and just look at the first, I don't know, the first hundred results, just go deep, right? Look at all those results and look to see how many of those pages look like they would be suitable places for you to have referrals, right? To have affiliate links and use that as sort of a starting point. You know, a lot of it might be competitors or sites that maybe they, they have no interest in doing affiliate deals or something like that, but just go deep and go long tail, right? And in a lot of ways, building up your affiliate program can have parallels to building up your SEO. It's kind of like this long-term, just building your backlinks over time. And it kind of has this snowballing compounding effect where initially, you know, okay, we're not getting that much traffic, but then over time it starts to be something meaningful as you get into deep long tail. And, you know, instead of just looking for backlinks, try and, and look for them to do affiliate links as, as well, right? So that's a, a simple kind of hack that I often tell people to do. In terms of um, a, a hack for Rewardful for us as a business or using Rewardful as a tool? Yeah, for you as a business, like maybe since now you have the team and you're nine people, but you're all remote. I know that you're on different continents even, like yeah. how to navigate the team like that, how to make sure that everyone comes together. Or maybe, you know, how to better transition into a CEO role, how to take on all these responsibilities and, yeah, and just be a better leader. Yeah, I don't know if I have any hacks like that. Like the, the, maybe the best piece of advice I'd give to someone in this position is just to like put in a lot of time and work and kind of obsession. I, I have a, a little bit of that kind of personality where I'll have like one or two things in my life that I'm like really obsessed with. You know, when I was younger, it might've been like a sport or like a video game or, or something like that. And I've talked to Chris about this before our CTO that I kind of view rewardful as like a bit of a video game. And, you know, it's like MRR is kind of how you keep score and just obsess about all the, the little details. Maybe that's, you know, a little bit of my insecurity as like a new leader shining through that like just feeling like need to constantly be thinking about and, and working on the business it's like the i guess the one trick that works for me and i think if like you're bootstrapping a business that's probably the way you need to be as well where it's like i think at some point maybe you can kind of transition to more of kind of like a, a balance where you're not constantly thinking about the business i haven't figured out how to do it that way so like yeah obsession is kind of the only trick i have yeah, yeah. And if, if somebody has figured it out, please comment. Because I think, yeah, yeah. it's just, it's very difficult. Uh, you just, you just have the goal and, and you reach that goal, but then you, you yourself just like keep moving, keep moving that goal further. And like, let's reach there the next mm -hmm. level, the next level. And yeah, it's, I think I love the metaphor. It's like, it's definitely like a video game. Yeah. Now, a lot of people will, will start thinking and getting into their heads about the, the whole video game thing. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. not. All right. Well, Emmett, it's been great talking with you. I mean, obviously, we talk at work. And like I said, I try to keep up with, with your growth and your exceptional work that you're doing on social media. It has his Thank own you. podcast, Shorter for Affiliate Marketing, and it's great stuff. So go check it out. So 
If you know anybody in the audience wants to find you, wants to talk about affiliate marketing, wants to get the course or try Rewardful, what is the best way to do that? Yeah, so of course, like Rewardful.com, if you want to check out Rewardful, if you're a SaaS company or any business that uses Stripe or Paddle for Billing, come check out Rewardful at Rewardful.com. If you want to get some content, some sweet, sweet online content, we put a lot of stuff out on LinkedIn. So if you come and, and follow either me or the Rewardful page on, on LinkedIn, you'll get a lot of sort of content that you're referring to there. Twitter, it's at GetRewardful or at Emmett Gibney. And then our course, I hope this is going to, I think this is going to be the landing page, but I think it's going to be rewardful.com slash course. And we're going to have a, a basically a landing page where people can sign up and we'll notify them about when the course goes live. We're hoping in January that we'll have it live. But if you go and uh, sign up at rewardful.com slash course, then we'll notify you when the course is live. And yeah, I think it's around two hours or so of content helping you set up a uh, a successful affiliate program for SaaS businesses. Awesome. Thank you. And we'll keep running the ad for you. Make sure that more people can go to the page and, and learn more about affiliate marketing. So thank you so much for your conversation. Hopefully we can do it again next year and see where you're at. Awesome. Thanks, Anna. It was good to chat with you. Thank you and take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS group a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saws.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.